Howdy. Howdy. My name is Chris Raymer. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. I, uh, how many of y'all weren't here last night? Oh, we had a bunch of the good ones. All right, well, this is, give me five seconds with you guys. Uh, shame on you for missing last night. No. No, I, thank you for coming today. I can't believe so many of y'all came back. It snowed last night. Did y'all see that? If that had happened in Texas, we'd have had a, we, we would have closed the state down. Stay off I-10. Emergency, emergency. Oh, shit. Uh, it's unbelievable. Y'all think I'm joking. Oh, my gosh. I called Patty. It snowed last night. Oh, oh well. It's the little things. <laughs> you guys that weren't here last night, let me give you a real quick... Um, uh, I can't speak for the other my other two cohorts, but I, we we've shared the podium many times. I know we were coming from the same spot. Um, our idea here is to share some some thoughts on on recovery from our vantage, from our standpoint. And you are free absolutely to agree or disagree with anything that we say. In fact, uh, uh, just feel free to keep it to yourself, one way or another. I could care less. <laughs> I, you don't have to come up and say, "Well, I agree with you when you said that," because the next thing out of your mouth is, "But I had a little exception with what you just said." I don't care. I just, I don't, I don't, I, guys, I'm coming out of the big, but I, I used to say, well, come up and let's talk about it. And I, I just, I'm, I don't want to convince you. I'm not here to, to, to you know, break, sway you to my way of thinking. I'm, I'm coming out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so uh, you may be coming out of the, another book. And, and how cool is that? I just, you know, the cool thing about this is it's not real rigid. You know, somebody said one time, it says, Chris is one of the best step technicians I've ever. And I, you know, I had to take exception. He was, it was a compliment. He was trying to pay me. But, you know, guys, I, some of you would, I mean, I, Bill Wilson says, each in our own way carry this message. And I mean, I guarantee you, I work the steps different than my twin brother Myers. I, I guarantee you. We, but whatever we're doing seems to be working. We just There's some central facts that we're going to talk about today and tomorrow with Peter. And there's some central stuff that we're going we're gonna, to, you, you'll see a, a thread through there. One of them is, let's work these steps out of the big book rapidly so that we can have a spiritual experience. Amen. No... Nobody caught on fire, so I think we're probably, I think we're probably okay here. You know, this is this is all right. It's amazing to me, folks. You know, it's like Myers said yesterday. It was so wonderful what he he said. He's you know we, we've talked about it from a thousand podiums. It's it's um, uh, you love us right up to the point that we say something you don't agree with. You know, and you know, well, my sponsor said, well, my counselor said that. Well, my you know, I don't, buddy. Listen, I'm seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous trying to get sober. And I'm listening to everybody under the sun tell me their version of this. Lots of opinions were shared. You just easy does it, Chris. You're the most important person here. You just take your time to do it. You didn't get sick overnight. You didn't get well overnight. Nah, 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 nah. All these little one day at a time, all these little one-liners taken out of context, you morons. And, and, and we're... <laughs> Everybody's trying to share with us, but and, and I got to tell you this, because it sounded over the years of I've been speaking from podium for twenty years. It sounded like I'm taking these guys' inventory, and I'm not. There wasn't a person in these rooms that were trying to hurt us, trying to hurt me specifically. They were all trying to help in their own way. That lady that looked me in the face and says, "Chris, you don't need to worry about those old twelve steps now. You just come to a lot of meetings." She wasn't trying to hurt me. She nearly killed me. But she wasn't trying to hurt me. And I know that some of y'all are sitting in here with your sponsor and you've been told the same thing. We're not here, guys, to make anybody uncomfortable. We're asking you to maybe consider to have an open mind that maybe we could do this thing a little better. Maybe we could be a little more effective with the, with the, with the men and women that we sponsor so that we could help them. I'm going to show you a little something, something real quick. Before I do... Um, I absolutely want to uh, repeat what we talked about last night, though. Uh, the cool part about this is I'm going to be here all day, and Myers and, and Peter, and, and on the breaks, when y'all are not out there freezing your butt off smoking, y'all can come in here and visit. And Guys, if, 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 if we say something that, that you're, you're not understanding or that we're not being clear on, uh, by all means, come talk to us about it. Come visit with us. That's the cool thing about getting to do workshops. If I had my way, I would never do another Saturday night talk ever. Because so, I'm gonna, I'll be in Alabama this weekend doing it. And it's like, I'll do a talk, I'll leave, and everybody will sit there. And, and the ones that agree love it, and the ones that don't hate it. And we never get a chance to talk. And it's just like, I'd much rather sit here with you guys all day long and visit. 
you know. So y'all come up and visit. I've got business cards, and, and as well, I'm sure the others do too. And, and if you want to email me or call me anytime, we'd love to visit with you. That's one of the coolest things about traveling is I get to network. I know people all over the world, literally, uh, well, the places that we've traveled together, I mean, all over the world that we can network with. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've called Patrick and, and, and Morris and some of the, you know, Lily in the room here and some of, some of my brothers. And, you know, buddy, I got a guy heading back your way. Can you help him? How cool it is to hear absolutely. I want to say this because we're going to talk about it at the end of the day when we talk about 12-step stuff. I have the hardest time in the world finding women to send people to. So if any of you women are here, that would like to catch somebody, please don't come up and give me your number if you're not willing to catch somebody when I send them to you. I'm not asking you to sponsor them. I'm asking you to catch them. Just meet them. Take them to a cool meeting. Show them where the predators are. Just help them. Help them. Oh, did I say that? I'm so, I'm so sorry. All right, and we're going to try to stay on, on, on schedule here. 10.15, we'll go smoke. You guys can smoke and get back in here at, at a pretty good clip. We'd appreciate it. We can kind of keep it on schedule. So uh, it's in rounded numbers now, and I can count. <laughs> I can count. I want to talk first step stuff real quick, but I want to show you kind of where we come from. I know some of y'all can't see this. Uh, some of you in the front can. Uh, I, I have it in print form. I'll be glad to email it to you if you care to uh, have it. I want to say this going in the door. This is just an indicator of kind of where we're at in the fellowship. This is so not scientific. So don't come up and explain to me that people can pick up more than one desire chip and this is not scientific. I know it's not. There's people out there that have spent, spent hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, 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 scientifically refuting this. Uh, more power to them. <laughs> Our Dallas intergroup and the Houston intergroup pr produces the same thing. These are chip sales out of Dallas. I'm sh I bet you a dollar you could go to any intergroup association that sells uh, chips will be able to uh, furnish their own stats to you. Uh, we've been monitoring these out of Dallas since I think I got mine first ones in 1993, and I've got it's amazing to watch and see how these have changed a little bit. And I'm not going to go over this whole deal, but in a group in Dallas, Texas, in 2012, sold 14,763 Desire chips. Little knucklehead comes in the back of an AA meeting kind of nervous. And anybody have a desire to stay over? Yeah, and they give them a little chip. Y'all, some of y'all have got those in your pocket right now. Let's rock on. That's a lot of aluminum, plastic, whatever they're made of. I don't know. One-month chips, same place in 2012, sold 3,897 one-month chips. You'll see a slight drop here in the, um, I don't know if you all noticed that, breathtaking. What happened to most of those people that walked in the room and screwed up their, per their courage to come and pick up a chip? And now all of a sudden we're down to, you follow? Well, this is not a race. Yes, comma, it is. <laughs> we, 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 come on, guys. Do some people going to come and realize they don't want this? Yeah, but I guarantee you the part of, part of the problem is a lot of these guys didn't get to hear the solution. And they, they didn't stay. The obsession comes back, guys. You're going to go away. That's the way that works. Uh, One-year chips, you should see it on down to 20 years. But one-year chips, we had... Uh, I can't see with one eye. 1,241. 1,000. Patty did the math on this. This is a little less than 9%. When the big book went into its second printing in 1955, in the Fords, you can read it, it talks about a success rate of 75%. 50% got it run once. Yada de yada de. If you relapse as they come back, by the time the dust settles, I've, I found nobody in New York, nobody out there, even the, the statistical gurus that want to argue those stats. 75% staying sober, 1955. And we've got less than 9% staying sober right now, looks like to me. No, it's not scientific. Give or take 30 points. So what? Y'all follow? We still got a problem here, I think. We got way too many people, as I said last night, we've, not, we've never had a problem getting people to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Guys, when my butt fell off in 1980, I knew exactly what I needed to do. She said, I'm going to leave if you don't stay sober. I'm going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous because I watched my dad go to Alcoholics Anonymous. He didn't stay. Neither did I. But I went. The problem is not getting you nice folks to get here. The problem is getting you to stay once you get here. And I'll say it. It's going to be a thread through all of our talks. If you have to sit in a meeting and listen to nonstop war stories and people whining about their day, you will not stay if you're the real alcoholic. My experience. 
I'm not knocking those meetings. My problem is, and Myers will talk some about it too, I'm, I guarantee you, is not the individuals. I'll say this and get it out of the way in case I miss it later on when we talk about working with others. The problem is never an individual in a group. It's the meeting formats that we absolutely refuse to change. We've had the same meeting formats in the meetings. Nobody seems to be staying so, but, but nobody's going to change the format. The fourth tradition tells us we can change those formats any way we want. If you have a meeting that lets them talk about their cat clawing up their table, oh, boo-hoo, while the alcoholic sits in the back of the room and detoxes, then you're going to get the, the, the cat story, and you can't complain about it. Shut up. Don't come talk to me about the lady that's always talking about her dead husband. Don't talk to me about that. The meeting format allows her to do that. Change the formats. Just call me, email, I'll send you our formats if you want to look at, come up with some new ideas. We've got a really rigid format at our AA group. We say, we are not here as a dumping ground for your problems. Please feel free to come before or after the meeting if you just need to talk. But during the meeting, we're going to talk about the topic being <gasps> presented out of the first 164 pages. What a concept. <laughs> You'll follow? And we got a little bell ringer, and you get to talk five minutes, and you talk five minutes and two seconds, and the bell is going to ring on you. You, you long-winded. Come on, guys. After five minutes, after five minutes, you're repeating yourself anyway. You're just rat-caging it after five minutes. You know, I want to hear everybody get a chance to share. Y'all follow? It's pretty cool. And, and you know, guys, there's thousands of those meetings where you can go talk. If you're having a bad day and you want to go talk in a meeting, that's fine. I would prefer to talk to my sponsor or some of my trusted spiritual brothers in this room uh, or sisters in this room than to sit in a meeting where I don't know half the people in there and talk about my wife. How freaking disrespectful can you get? Just, I'm just saying, just a thought. I don't know. <laughs> you could do Vanna here. You know, you could turn this <laughs> you can communicate and tell me too. <laughs> Point taken. Real quick for you cats that weren't here last night in my story. And after seven years of in and out, I finally landed in a room uh, for a suicide attempt. I landed in a room uh, of a bunch of big book thumpers I'd never been in before. And I walked in, and this little girl kept me from leaving. And, and uh, I picked up a chip, and the old timers got around me that night. And they, and, they, and they drew this little circle triangle up here. Now, I'm going to talk first step stuff, but i got to get this out of the way. Because Myers and I, we brought our little stamps, our little, little, little circle triangle stamps. And that's why I'm getting to this. And if you want to stick it back in your front of your books, uh, there's a big push right now in, in, uh, at uh, GSO to get the circle triangle put back in the books. If y'all want to talk to me why, there's a copyright infringement in 1996. There was an unsigned letter that came down the pike that just said, we're going to take this out of the book. Nobody got to vote on it or anything. But the problem is a lot of the old timers were using this circle triangle to keep us in balance. I have never, if you, any of y'all in here want to know why you're relapsing or why you're having trouble staying sober, this is it. It's not the external stuff as much as your counselor would like. I'm not saying that stuff didn't exacerbate the problem. But if you're in all three parts of the program, you're going to be in balance around this, and I guarantee you, you'll be spiritually connected. And then when the bad stuff happens, you're going to be, you're going to be sad. You're going to hurt. You may even want to jump off a bridge, but you will not relapse. Guys, this is for keeps. There's a consistency to God's grace. This nonsense that any day we could relapse is Bullshit is not true. Not if you're recovered. Not if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. This guy opened the big book and he sat me down and he said, Chris, what's recovery? Now remember, I'd been around AA for seven years messing with this, picking up lots of these desired chips. And I'm seven years and he said, Chris, what's recovery to you? And I said, it's the 12 steps. He said, good, excellent. Have you worked all 12 steps? Well, I'm, I'm working those steps to the best of my ability. <laughs> Which translates to No. I'm not. He's a little X on that, you know, a little pencil and X on that. Because I didn't have a book, so he's using his, you know. This used to be on the title page of the book at the, at the bottom. And he says, what's, what's, what's unity to you? I says, it's the meetings. He said, you going to meetings? I says, meeting makers make it. And he, he rolled his eyes and he gave me a little check on that one. He says, all right, I'll give you that one. He says, what service? I looked down. He says, it's carrying the message, Chris. It's, it's sponsorship. What, 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 are you sponsoring anybody in these last seven years? Well, no. X. So, in a three-part program, 
to treat a three-part illness, you're in exactly one part. Three-legged stool analogy, start taking legs off and see how fast it takes you to bust your ass. Y'all follow? It's, a, it's the same thing. If I'm in all three parts of this, this is what we do with our accountability group, with the guys I sponsor. One of the things that we talk about nonstop, Lily will call me on the phone. Buddy, tell me about the circle triangle. What, all three parts. Where, where are you at? I want to know, where are you at in the program? Are you going to meetings? Are you a part of our fellowship, our beautiful fellowship? And are you sponsoring anybody? We're seeing a tidal wave of old sobriety coming back into treatment via prescription medication pads. A lot of you guys in the industry can nod your head. You've had experience with this. You know, I knew I shouldn't have taken that Ambien. Yeah, but you did. So now we're back in treatment again. We're detoxing off some opiates or some benzos, not knocking any of that. But what I'm asking these cats is every time as they come back in, oh, you're the guy that had 30 years of sobriety. Let me ask you a question. How many guys were you sponsoring? None. We're going to hit it real hard about 4 o'clock this afternoon, 3.30. Stay in all three parts and you can't go wrong. Y'all good? I crack me up. I just, I don't know. <laughs> After this guy showed me the circle triangle, we started talking about alcoholism, and it became really clear. Uh, Peter referred to it last night in his talk. There was a, there was a point in time when they asked me uh, what it is to be an alcoholic, and I couldn't tell him. You know, it's the same stuff. If I ask some of you in here, and listen, I'm not trying to pick anybody out or make anybody uncomfortable, but if I ask you what it is to be an alcoholic, you'd say, well, somebody who drinks too much. Not, not a lot of people drink too much. We just did spring break down there on the beach, and a lot of people were drinking too, too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Monday morning, most of those little cats were back in school. And there was a small percentage, oh, about 15%, that were still down there on the beach looking for their clothes. You follow? This was, this was long past uh, having a good time. Uh, this, was, this was not fun. Anyway... I'd never understood what it was to be an alcoholic. And there seems to be a lot, of, a lot of confusion, especially in the treatment center industry, what it's about. You would think going to treatment, spending $30,000, that, that you would be taught what it is to be an alcoholic. I can assure you, if you end up in the wrong place or in the wrong AA meeting, you will not know what it is to be an alcoholic. Y'all follow? See, I want to I clarify some stuff, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the little rundown here. I'm, I'm not different than other people. I'm different than other drinkers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to smash this idea that we are all a, have an addictive personality and that we're all goofy. And this is the, you know, well, we're all liars and horse thieves in here. You, you watch your mouth. Because even drinking, I never stole a horse. And I don't, I'm pretty much honest, uh, at least cash register honesty to a fault. This idea that we're all bozos and molesters and goofy people and lawbreakers because we're alcoholics is, is ridiculous. And we need to stop that nonsense. We need to stop it in its tracks. Guys, the only thing that separates me from the rest of the world out there is this genetic predisposition. Uh, alcoholism is genetic. You want to email me, I'll send you all the stuff that you want to read on this nonsense. Uh, Dr. Carlton out of the University of Texas believes that it's a, a, at least 60% of this illness is genetically predisposed. Uh, we can do it in here right now. How many of you guys in here can look up your family tree and see alcoholism and drug addiction? <laughs> I know. Wave, wave back. Yeah, I know. Let the... Let, uh, and there's a few of you that can't. I would, say, I would say, look at it. It's difficult for some people that are adopted. They don't know. I understand that. You can look at all other uh, process addictions to go in that with that. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. But we're seeing a, a genetic predisposition to this. I don't care where we are in Europe. I don't care where we are. We, we get the same response. People can see this up the family tree. And yet, we still have people in treatment that want to talk about this like it's a behavioral problem. Well, why do you drink? I mean, we watch them coming out of treatment. They, they go down there and they learn, oh, shit, this is, you mean, this is an illness. This is a, a, a disease. I, I, I see that now. And then they go to the counselor, you know, and they, well, so tell me why you drink. Well, because I'm an alcoholic. I have a disease, a physical craving coupled with a mental obsession. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, right. But, well, why do you look around? Why do you really drink? <laughs> seen it a million times and it makes me want to cry. I guarantee you. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's absolutely pathetic. And there ought to be some people put in jail because of that nonsense. 
Y'all understand? Guys, this, listen, we're going to open up a can of worms here because we're going to talk about alcoholism and drug addiction. And I guarantee you some of y'all are going to get a little uncomfortable in this conversation. I'm not trying to jam anybody. You're an alcoholic if you say you are. Go ahead. Just don't teach that crap because it's not. The same symptoms. I can get the youngest person in here. We can get a cross-section. We can get the black person, white person, gay person, straight person, big person, little person. I, I, don't, I don't care. Yankee. I mean, oh, my gosh. I don't. <laughs> we put everybody in this thing. We're going to talk to you, but I guarantee you but the symptoms are going to be the same. You with us? That's why people even in the 17th century understood. There were doctors then calling this as a disease. And the American Medical Association in 1956, long after Dr. Silkworth started calling it an illness, he, uh, uh, they came around and said, yes, it's a disease. Why? The same reason that Dr. Silkworth caused, caused it, called it a disease in the 30s, because he could see the same symptoms. It didn't matter if it was, a, if it was, a, it was a little street urchin coming off the street or some lady in Park Avenue coming in. The symptoms were the same. This is why I get a little crazy when everybody wants to talk about the story. Bill Wilson's psychiatrist, Dr. Tebow, uh, if you've ever get a chance to read some of his writings, he, he was phenomenal. And uh, again, I've got him on email. I can, I, can, I can flash you some of his stuff. But one of his quotes in there, one of the things he says, he says, he says, many of it, we can hit lots of bottoms. But unless we surrender at one of those bottoms, we're not going to stop. Did y'all agree with that? A lot. Listen, when I told my wife in 1980 that I was going to quit drinking, with tears in my eyes, I meant it with every fiber in my body. Can y'all get down with that? Understand what I'm saying? You looked at that, that significant other, your kids, whatever it was, and you said, I'm going to stop. You meant it. What you didn't understand is you didn't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. You didn't understand that you couldn't stop, but you meant it at the time. And this is what so many people out there don't understand. People that are not alcoholic, people that haven't been trained in the big book don't understand what this alcoholism and, and, and drug addiction too on that count still looks like. They, they won't get clear on this business. They believe, I see it at family when they come to families and, and they got a little brother here and he's in treatment and we're talking to him and then the family comes and they want to talk about the girlfriend or the, the wife or the, the bad thing that happened when they were a kid. Buddy, all I want to do is talk about alcoholism. Can we talk about that? And, but you're, you want to connect the dots with the drama. You, you follow? This is why it gets me crazy in the meetings. Myers touched on it last night. Uh, your story will allow me to leave these rooms. We, we kill more women with this nonsense than I can shake a stick at. She, she comes in. She's sitting on the front. She's, she left a soccer game. She'd had a little, couple glasses of white wine, and she's been having a couple of glasses of white wine too long. She's not supposed to be driving drunk with the kids in the car, but she continues to do it. You with us? She gets a ticket. She's got to come get a little paper signed, so she comes into my AA meeting. She's sitting in the front row in her nice little business suit and her Louis Vuitton bag in her lap so that that one-eyed guy over there can't steal it. <laughs> Oh, look, guys, the chairperson, we have a new person here. Let's tell her how we got here. Ooh, and then here we go. Oh, well, you know, I had 60 DWIs, and oh, oh my gosh, this guy had 40 DWIs, and he's just out of prison for about three, three days. This guy's chopped up six people and put them in a paper bag. This guy in a blackout killed 14 people. This lady's over there, and she, you, can see her, you, you can see her shrink inward as the stories try to outdo each other. And she's sitting there thinking, I... I just got stopped at this game. I don't understand. I've never blacked out. I've never pissed my pants. I've never robbed a liquor store. I don't understand what these people are talking about. She gets her sheet signed, and then she leaves. And then, like was referred to last night, where's that lady? She didn't come back. She must not have wanted it. Bullshit. She wanted it bad enough to come in here and do this deal, but nobody grabbed her and explained what alcoholism looked like. And that's what I want to talk to you about a, a little bit. Uh, again, I'm not saying your stories are not important, but I'm just saying once we got them in the meeting, they're here. <laughs> they don't need to be scared here. Your war story out there at work might get her attention. You might 12-step her and get her to come to a meeting. After that, shut up with the war stories. You've got to keep telling your war story. If you forget your war story, you might drink again. <sighs> really? Turn to page 24 if you got your book. 
Page 24 is the magic page for a lot of people. It set me free. Seven medications and 10 years of therapy, and what I needed to do is read 24. God almighty. This is where it talks about the power of choice. Go about halfway down. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crown to your mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that we can handle ourselves like other people. There is the complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Did you get it? My book is telling me that you will not remember at certain times your war story. I don't care how many times you tell it. Make sense? Guys, there's no chapter in the back of the book called Into Scare. I've watched people do this a thousand times. I'm going to take that picture of me in detox and I'm going to paint. I'm going to stick it on my, on my refrigerator door. And every time I come get some something to drink, I'm going to remember that I was what I looked like when I was in detox. And I'm not ever going to drink again. That good plan. Are you nuts? It, will not, it won't work. Fear won't keep us sober. Did it keep you sober? Guys, it might stop you for, for a little while. I guarantee you. The day, the day Myers came and, and bailed me out of jail for my one and only DWI, I assure you, I stayed sober for maybe four hours. I did. I mean, I didn't want to ever go back there. <laughs> Sitting at work and had to call my wife who was traveling and tell her that I had a DWI. I had to have a little, I had to drink a little beer to kind of get a little ready for that. So... They sat down that night and they explained the stuff that I'm going to talk to you about right here. And they talked to me for the first time about alcoholism and, and what it looked like. And uh, I, could, I could absolutely understand it. Again, my story will allow you to leave because you won't be able to identify with my story. You, you follow? How many of you guys have eaten out of a dumpster? One, two, three, four, four five, six... Seven of us. There's 200 people in here. Seven of us have eaten out of dumpsters. So if all I'm going to do is stand up here and tell you about that, my, my little short period of time in Houston, Texas, eating out of dumpsters, the only people that, whose, whose curiosity I'm going to pick are the ones that have actually done it too. And the rest of you guys are going to go, man, he's a loser. You know what I'm saying? I would never do that. I shot a lot of dope, but I never ate out of a dumpster. <laughs> Y'all understand? And see, but, but, the, but my story will separate. I... I I hear people in meetings all the time. Just listen to the stories and eventually you'll hear years. I'm 25 years sober. Ain't ever, ain't, ain't, ain't not even been close. Y'all follow? Fact. Neither of you, if you're honest about it. You're all individuals. Your stories are going to all be different. Your story can get people to come in. In a 12-step call, I'm going to repeat myself, or in a Friday night meeting telling your story, use, the, use it. Every bit of it. Make up some, some really bad shit if you want to. I don't care. It, it's just stories anyway. But, but, but when you finally got this guy settled down, you're going to have to start asking. He's gonna st eventually, he's going to ask the question, well, how did you stop drinking? How come I can't stop drinking? Well, you can't stop drinking because, you know, in 1976, I was eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. No, that's not right. That doesn't make any sense. You got to start telling him what's wrong with him. Explain the illness, just like just like Dr. Silkworth did to Bill Wilson, just like Bill Wilson did to Dr. Bob, just like Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson did to number three, number four, number five on down the road. You follow? The knowledge of the disease, the fatality of it, will keep me here forever. That's the gift I can give the newcomer. Y'all have heard people talk in the meetings about the gift of desperation. If you think your circumstances have anything to do with your drinking, there will be no desperation. Because the damage is, the, the, I should say the danger is, is that downstream those old third step promises start to come true and all of a sudden, you know, you start getting better and, and your difficulties start leaving and you get a cool job and everything's just great. And then pretty soon you start thinking that you're a little bit different. That's why people don't stay sober, folks. I've got alcoholism. I will have alcoholism to the day I die. It is progressive in nature. I know that there's a little line in the book that will contradict this, but our studies show today that the illness progresses. When I start drinking again, if I start drinking again, it will not pick up where I left off in 1987. I, it, I, I have 25 years of this thing progressing without alcohol in my system. 
This is why the spiritual malady comes back and kicks our butt downstream. You would think the furthest away I've ever been from a drink, I would be, I would be well. I would be happy, joyous, and free. And why is it that we see so many miserable people sitting in AA meetings? Because they're getting sick again. I want to talk to you all about that a bit, well, if i got time. Here's the three pieces of this thing. There's a physical component, a mental component, and this little spiritual component. Now, I want to absolutely, there's a great book out of this guy in Australia, New Zealand wrote, called Alcoholics Ambiguous. If any of you guys get a chance to read it, this guy did a pretty good job. I've never been able to track him down. He sent me a copy, and I don't know if it was because he didn't like something I said or he liked something I said, but I appreciated the copy nonetheless, and uh, you can get it online, and uh, Alcoholics Ambiguous, but he talks about the fact that sometimes we have a tendency to, to confuse the newcomer because we hit the spiritual piece a little too hard. The piece I want you to see, especially with a newcomer, I'm not saying don't talk to him about it because you got to, but what separates us from every soul on earth is the physical piece and the mental piece. Y'all follow? Would, would, would you all agree that everybody on earth at certain times goes through some depression? Yes. Okay. So that's where the, it can get a little muddy. Normal drinkers don't have a phenomena called craving. Normal people get to overdrink once. <laughs> Come on, guys. That ought to be the question we ask. AA's got his brochure. 44 questions, 20 questions. The big book only asked me two questions. I don't know why we had to confuse the bejesus out of this. You know, they get into all the drama. The only question the big book is asking in the, fr in the front of the book. From the doctor's opinion up to page 23, we talk about what happens when I put alcohol in my body. Now, we're not talking about the craziness or the insanity now. We'll do that in a minute. I'm talking about physically alcohol works different in my body than it does in, nor in normal drinkers. A normal drinker will have a couple of drinks and then they will get to a space. They'll start feeling a little goofy and they'll stop. <laughs> Those of us that are wired like us, this genetic predisposition. I, listen, I've got two, uh, two sisters that didn't catch this bullet. My twin brother and I caught the bullet. Y'all understand how that works. And so it's, it's interesting with identical twins. It's interesting with fraternal twins. It, it gets kind of dicey with that stuff. So uh, there's some great studies out there. I'll get you the books if you want to research this a little bit. But anyway, just to keep it simple, the physical craving that the doctor's opinion talks about is that I will be unable at certain times to, to, uh, uh, to drink what I set out to drink. I can have a couple of drinks. You follow? At certain, early in the illness, as it progresses, I can, like, y'all remember, some of y'all had a really social period of drinking. Uh, you had years when you were drinking okay and weren't getting in a lot of trouble and you were managing to hold it together pretty good. But as this thing progresses, it'll be less and less likely that it's like, like hitting the target. If I can hit the target, I won't, I won't get a DWI, I won't get in a fight, I won't, I won't be, you know, I just, I won't even get a hangover. That's what we call a, a, a moderate drinker or even a hard drinker at times can hit that. You with us? Okay. But what happens with us is we start hitting outside that target pretty early on. And uh, I sponsored a little kid one time, a young man that had, he, he had drank three times and he had three DWIs. I mean, this, I was so sorry for this kid. He never got any social time at all. He just, <laughs> his, his disease at 19 years old had progressed further then most of us in this room's disease had progressed. Really tragic to watch. We watch old, some older people have a, hit, a period of 40, 50 years of six, y'all understand the six, the quotes, successful drinking. That means I, I didn't go to jail. I didn't die, you know, for periods of time. And then only at the very end have they really started developing problems. But what you have to look at is this phenomenon of craving. Did you drink more than you intended? I set out to have a couple of cocktails, and I had six. I didn't get blackout. I didn't go rob a liquor store. I just drank more than I intended. The phenomenal craving never takes place in normal drinkers. My older sister one time we brought us a... a he, um, she wanted us, uh, Patty and I, to go to the store. She was going to have a New Year's Day party, and they uh, cook hot dogs for a bunch of the neighborhood people. And she wanted me to go to the, to the, to the liquor store and buy some booze, some beer for, the, for this party. And she said, will that bother you? And I said, no, it won't bother me. I'll be glad to do that. And, and, and she got some money, she, and she, she handed me a $20 bill. And I said, Scott, I said, how, how many people are coming to this party? <laughs> you know, I don't know, 50, 60 people will be over here at hot dogs. What are you just really, really cheap? I don't, I don't understand. Because nobody's going to get a good drunk on this, you know. And I'm laughing at Patty. We go get twenty dollars worth of beer like that. And I got to tell you guys, I can go to her house right now, and some of those beers are still in her refrigerator. 
See, everybody thinks alcohol affects us the same way, and it's just it's not the it's not the truth because of the way we're wired. It, it can get away from us. I can reel it in sometimes, but then it gets away from us. It's one of the reasons that we have to watch out right now. From a lot of you guys are relapsing around stuff you don't understand. This phenomenal craving can be triggered by lots of things. You don't have to actually put alcohol in your body coming out of a Jim Beam bottle to trigger the craving. You can do NyQuil just as easily. Your body doesn't care what label you put on it. If it's ETOH, you, you, the, the, the phenomenon of craving can be triggered. We've got uh, reported instances of people relapsing around athlete's foot spray, perfumes, anything with alcohol in it, food, stick your nose in, buddies. Make sure there's no alcohol in it. Early on in your illness, maybe you could get away with Boy, you should see the room get uncomfortable when I said that. I, ba- baby, don't shoot me. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just saying be careful. Maybe you can eat the Vio Marsala today. Try it in five years, and we'll see you in treatment. Yeah, we see it happen all the time. Just You've got to be careful. Again, right now in the United States, the largest cause of relapses is pharmaceutical medication prescribed by doctors that should have, by God, known better and didn't. If you take a benzodiazepine, you can't stay sober. I'm not talking about antidepressants. I'm talking about benzodiazepines. Y'all got to be careful with that. Y'all follow? Any of y'all want to visit about that, you're more than welcome to come, come chat. Y'all follow? All right. Physical craving, we've got to really watch out. Now, in the United States, we do a pretty good job with this physical piece, guys. In fact, our judicial system is set up with this, phys- this physical deal. We're going to, you know, we're going to stop you. We're going to put you in jail, and you can't get the booze or whatever, and you'll stop, you, you can stop drinking. Uh, you'll follow? Every, every counselor I've ever worked with, even the worst of the bunch, understands this physical. Oprah on TV. Well, you little alcoholics, you just can't, you can't put any alcohol in your body, can you? Thank you. Oh, no, we can't. <laughs> But what people don't understand, including most of the, not most, but a lot of people in our AA meetings is the second piece. Guys, this first piece is like an allergic reaction. If you're allergic to a food, you try it a few times, it makes you sick, you go to the bathroom, go, I'm going to stay away from them damn eggs. I'm going to stay away from that shellfish. I can't breathe. Oh, my God, I'm going to stay away. We don't have to go to your little hotel room and look under the bed and see if you've got a bushel of clams under there. You know, I can't, we don't. Nobody goes in this meeting and says, you know, I, I, I'm, a, you know, never. My name is Chris Raymer, and I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> Guys, we just do it, and then we say, I don't want to do that anymore, and we quit. That ought to be the question we ask everybody coming into the fellow. Have you ever been sick drinking alcohol? Uh-huh. You ever been sick more than once drinking alcohol? Uh-huh. Welcome. <laughs> Guys, normal people don't do that. We come back after get, getting sick, wiping our mouth. God, it must have been the chicken. I don't know. <laughs> No, it probably had more to do with the 12-pack of beer you drank before you ate the chicken. Just, just saying. Y'all follow? Normal people can't do that. It's the second piece from 23 to 43, the magic pages in the book as far as I'm concerned. It talks specifically about the mental obsession. This is where people get, get, get crazy because a lot of people out there in our fellowship were taught in treatment that we have a choice whether we're going to drink. My book says on page 24, we have lost the power of choice in drink. Here's this... this uh, famous uh, commentator on uh, Fox News Channel that got fired, but I'm not going to say his name. I hope he's happy today. He was in, being interviewed on, on uh, Larry King, and he says, and this is back when, when some of the movie stars, little, little, little social folks were getting loaded and couldn't stay sober, whatever, and, and he's commenting, this, this commentator's commenting on it to Larry King live on television, millions of people watching. What gets me about these celebrity folks is, hey, we have a choice whether we're going to drink or not. Just get up and make the choice not to drink. It's that simple. If you can choose not to drink... Do it and go away and don't sponsor anybody because you're killing people with that crap. And I've sat in more meetings than I can count and listened to somebody in the back. I got up this morning and chose not to drink. Guys, why do I get so hot about it? Why do I get a little passionate about it? Because that's what took me to a suicide attempt. Seven years sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous listening to people tell me if you wanted to stay sober bad enough, you could stay sober. And nobody ever bothered to tell me how to do it. Perhaps some of the stuff we're going to talk about today will motivate you. Some of you early in your illness are able to stop for periods of time. 
Come on, if she was good looking enough, I could, man, I can stop her a few weeks on a dime. I mean, that's just no problem. I was fixing to quit anyway, baby. <laughs> and, and, and about two weeks, three weeks later, I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. And you're not quite as pretty as you were two weeks ago. In fact, if you smack that gum one more time, I'm going to smack you. You with us? A little sensitive. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> Guys, I don't have a choice whether I'm going to drink. The big book talks about it in those 20 pages. Jim, the car salesman, Fred, the businessman, those are some of the best stories. The jaywalker, they're not choosing. Look, read Fred. If we had more time, we could read Fred's story. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. What's Bill, Bill Wilson doesn't understand what he's doing when he's writing this book in 1939. He's taking away every trigger there is. An end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. This guy's rich. He's got a fine wife, nice kids, everything. He just takes all all of the, tr the drama away. How can you get better than the end of a perfect day? Not a cloud on the horizon. What does he do in the next paragraph? He gets a drink. He, he crosses the threshold of the dining room. Those damn thresholds. I've talked to therapists all over the... <laughs> I got a buddy in San Diego who says, Chris, I figured out the perfect trigger. It's called consciousness. Come on. Isn't that the truth? I don't care where we are, all over Europe, wherever we're talking, everybody laughs the same way, and then we go right back into meetings and people talk about it. Well, this is your meeting. If there's anything you might drink over, let's talk about it. Well, we're going to be here a long time. I don't know what to tell you. How many of y'all drank when it was daylight? I'm just trying to be helpful. Guys, if there's anything left to drink over, you're going to drink over anything. This is why I want you recovered so you can get well. That song that, that Pink Floyd wrote may make you think about alcohol and drugs, but it's not going to trigger the obsession to use. Early sobriety, if you want to pay attention to this stuff, triggers, we teach it in, in treatment, go ahead. I don't care. But come on, guys. Ten years from now, and you, and you can't go to the country western place and listen to some live music with me because it, it might trigger you. Shame on you. Shame on you and the message you're carrying to the newcomer. That's not freedom. Our sponsor used to say, how free do you want to be? Just sober for this minute? That's not freedom. That's hell on earth. Just saying. Let me get to this last piece for for run out of time. The, the mental piece is the piece that people don't understand. Again, this is the one that they'll argue with you about. And I, 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 again, I'm going to say, I don't have a choice whether I'm going to drink. I have thousands of choices. I get to choose whether I'm going to come to meetings. You guys got to choose whether you're going to come hear us this weekend, give us a weekend. And, and you guys that, while I'm thinking about it, that contributed to the cause and, and, and helped out for the expenses of this deal, thank you so much for doing it. This, things get expensive, and thank you for, for, for allowing us to do this. But I'm just saying, I've got lots of choices. I've got choice whether I'm at 25 years, am I going to continue to sponsor people? I've got a whole bunch of guys I sponsor. They're the light of my life. They call on the phone, and, and, and they're always constantly calling on the phone. And it's like, you just want to say, get a life, you know? But <laughs> No, but I'm a pretty happy camper because these guys stay in my life. Y'all understand? Oh, my gosh. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about 12-step stuff this afternoon. All I'm saying is all, we, we make choices every day. The cho I get to choose the meetings I go to. There's lots of choices that, that get dovetailed into this idea about recovery. You follow? But if I relapse, I didn't choose to do it. And you need to sit with that some today and see if that's not the truth. Guys, the book is crystal clear in those pages, those 20 pages. We are insane. He uses the word insane over and over. The sanity they're talking about in the second step has got nothing to do with whether you're going to get big piercings in your ears and noses and hair and just weird. Buddy, you're just being cool. That's got nothing to do with being insane. Insane is the belief that I can put this substance in my body when I have thousands of examples to show that it's a shit storm coming my way if I do. That's when we start the experiments. Well, I'm just not going to drink that hard liquor anymore. I'm going to drink wine. Bad news is, is I, I had a key to a wine warehouse at the time. It wasn't a very good experiment. It was really, really bad. 
the internal condition that uh, my old sponsor before he passed away did more to help me understand this than anything else. Uh, in the front of the book, in the doctor's opinion, it talks about irritable, restless, and discontent. And on page 52, there's a great little se section called called the, the bedevilments that talks about this internal condition. I want to paint this picture for you guys because I was able to stay sober for periods of time. I would lay the booze down. I would pour out all those other, uh, other non-conference approved drugs. And I, I would lay all this stuff and, I would, and I'm going to be not just, I'm going to be okay. And uh, three or four days later, I'd be feeling better. I'd be detoxed. You know, I'm coming okay. And I'm, I'm going to meetings. You with us? And everything seems to be okay. And gradually downstream, what happens is, for some of us, it happens really quick. For some of us, it's more gradual. But the irritable, restless, and discontent starts to come back. And I, this feeling of uselessness, this low self-esteem, this, this trouble in personal relationships, trouble making a living. You'll follow? It's never been about making money for me. It's about, are you enjoying what you're doing? Yeah, you know, y'all follow? There's a great little line in there. It talks about prey to misery and depression. Un untreated alcoholism, the number one symptom of untreated alcoholism is depression. That's, some of y'all that weren't here last night, it was, my story was I was on seven medications a day when I got sober, most of those for depression. I didn't have clinical depression. What I had was untreated alcoholism. When I got the, I'm not saying stop taking your meds. Don't, I'm going to smacked you if you come up here and think I said that. I didn't. I didn't. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm saying many of the people that I have worked with have had the opportunity to reevaluate themselves after they get sober and were able to get off a lot of meds that they didn't need to be on. That's just our experience for some of us. It might not be yours. What I'm saying is what these people were trying to do over the years was trying to treat the symptoms of my illness. You'll follow? Unable to focus as a symptom of untreated alcoholism. Depression, boredom, anxiety. And the doctors are giving me pills every time I come in with one of these symptoms. <laughs> and you're drinking on top of this, right? Is it any wonder that some of us get a little loopy? It's just, it's just absolutely amazing to watch. But uh, <laughs> after I got sober, like I said, I had a sponsor. We went to a doctor, and I was able to get off some of that stuff. This internal condition, the spiritual malady, I got those little issue man buttons on that we some of us wear. This little dark spot, dark spot in the center, that's the, little, that's the little spiritual malady. That's where the problem lies. You follow? The little X's on the outside are stuff that we all need to talk about. Some of y'all take this out of context. You'll think, well, Chris says our issues are not important because he's got that little button and he's making fun of us. I'm not. I'm not. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I, 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 it's hard for me to talk from the podium about it sometimes. I've been in the treatment center business for 20 years and a, and a card-carrying member of Alcoholics Anonymous since 1980, for God's sakes. I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody's drama. Some of you have got more baggage than you can shake a stick at. All I'm saying is, if you would start doing the work, actually, instead of just sitting in meetings thinking about it, the, the miracle is that a lot of that baggage would go away. You want to talk about a therapeutic tool that will change you? No human on earth can, can, can manifest that change. That's why this is a spiritual program. Unapologetically about getting connected to God. You want to argue with that? Go someplace else. That internal discomfort will guarantee to come back. This is why the miracle is of sitting in a treatment center work and doing clerical work, watching people leave treatment with tears in their eyes, having done the work up to a point, kicking butt, taking names. They leave. They feel great. We've done all this great therapy on the X's, on the drama, and then they leave downstream. I don't need those stupid AA meetings. Hell, I'm perfect. I feel great. You do. We did good work. It's not going to stay that way. Unless you get back out there and get you in a little big book group and start sponsoring some people, what's going to happen almost imperceptibly is you'll be driving down the road. Somebody will come by, cut a little close. Mmm, Mr. Spiritual. Oh, <laughs> flipping people. Oh, irritable, restless, and discontent. Walk in, job. How come I didn't get that memo? Hypervigilant. Y'all understand? How come... How come my promotion hadn't come through? You've only been here like three weeks, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a pretty special three-weeker, don't you know? I mean, I don't know. You know, And nothing's good enough. She's not good enough. The job's not good enough. The town's not good enough. The weather's not good enough. Y'all understand? Everything's just mediocre, blah. The depression starts to come back gradually, almost, almost imperceptibly. Just one minute I seem to be okay, and the next minute I'm not okay. You with me? And this little thought crosses your mind. You could probably smoke a joint. 
Lickety one Xanax. No, no, a, a half of a Xanax. You follow? Oh, here we go. Where did that thought come from? Because when you go back to treatment after you relapse, you're going to, well, listen, what caused this? Nothing. What caused it is that I, I wasted my time to get to the spiritual experience. I didn't treat the internal condition. Y'all understand? You can sit in an old busted up trailer on the side of a hill and be perfectly content at ease and be spiritually connected like nobody else. You don't live a, have to live in a big old expensive house and drive a big old fancy car. You don't have to have all the things that a lot of people have. You, in other words, you will dis- detach like Peter was talking about last night from, from, from this world. And you will become a part of another world. Your, your, your priorities will start to shift as a result of not drinking one stupid day at a time. No. As a result of becoming spiritually connected. As a result of recovering from alcoholism. That's what we want you guys to do. There's not a person in here that couldn't do a better job in the steps. There's not a person in here that we, we couldn't do a better job sponsoring other people. Including myself. That's what this is about. Sometimes we just get crazy. We go to these conferences and we listen to another goddamn comedian up there and we listen to, you know, it's just, it's just all, and then pretty soon we wonder, geez, I don't know, you know, is this all there is? No, we, we, we can't live off a spiritual experience we had back there. We need to have a current spiritual experience. I guarantee you I'll have one with you guys here this weekend because I'm open to it. I'm not going to try to live off an experience I had 25 years ago. That's for a fact. Let me mention this. I got a... Uh, there's a guy named William White uh, uh, down in Florida that wrote some great literature. He's, he's written some, some tr- tremendous books. Um, Slaying the Dragon was one of his books about treatment in this country. Uh, if any of you guys have ever get a, get a chance to see um, the Bill W. documentary, I know some of you have seen it. If those of you that haven't, uh, the, uh, I can get you the websites. You can order it online. It's not very expensive anymore, and uh, you can snag a copy of it. This is the unsanitized, you know, AA version of of, of of how we came together and what happened. Uh, you know, Bill Wilson was not uh, uh, some spiritual giant. He was, a, he was a normal, stupid, goofy guy just like me and just like the rest of us in this room. We all make mistakes, and, and they don't try to candy coat it. They don't try to paint any pictures around it. But they show pictures of us. I knew I was going to do it. They show pictures of us in insane asylums in the 30s, getting lobotomies, locking us up, because that's what they did with us in, in years before. Because when they let us out, we didn't know what to do, and we had no solution, and we would hurt ourselves or others. So they had to lock us up. And millions, millions of us died in these facilities, state hospitals, loony bins. Um, Most of us, we died at our own hands because we couldn't take the pain of not having alcohol in our system. That's why this stuff is so important, what we do here. Get off dead center and understand how important this is. Because if we don't do what we're supposed to do here and understand what this disease is about, we will portray it wrongly to the newcomer, and they will have no chance of staying sober. There's a sense of responsibility, I think. We read it last night. Eric read it when we closed the meeting. The responsibility, it didn't say we. It says I. I'm, I'm by God responsible. I don't know what the rest of the group's going to do, but I guarantee you I'm going to be the one that stops and helps that little newcomer, armed with the facts about myself. William, in one of his papers, uh, he wrote a, uh, an article about this little window of opportunity. I thought it was an excellent paper. Again, I've got it. I'll send it to you if you want it. But he talks about this, this, this clock that starts ticking. He talks about this idea that when we get out of treatment, when we come into the AA the rooms, that there's a period of time when this will all work. Y'all follow? We, we talk about it a lot. Uh, some of you guys have been criticized because you got really happy when you got sober. You know, a few weeks in and you're, you're over there laughing your ass off for the first time, a laugh from the gut. You know, you just, all of a sudden it's like life takes on new meaning and there's some old bastard over in the corner. Did I say that from the podium? <laughs> Sometimes they're young bastards over in the corner uh, taking your inventory, taking your inventory. Oh, he's just on a pink cloud. Pretty soon he'll be miserable like me. You know. <laughs> I, guys, I've said it from a gazillion podiums. There's no such thing as a pink cloud. I, 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 find, the, I find the phrase offensive. Uh, there's a thing called God's grace. And if you come in here and you start doing this work, so many of us that came to AA and left 
had this miracle take place to them. They started doing the work. They made a commitment to try to do this. And all of a sudden, the euphoria of understanding that there was a way out, that there was a solution to this, that we didn't have to live that way anymore, was overwhelming. And we cried a lot, and we laughed a lot, and we, and we, and we showed our butt sometimes. We looked like a fool sometimes. Is any wonder that somebody wants to make fun of us? Guys, that's, that's what life is like to, for me today all the time, not usually. That's, that's what so many people don't understand. I had a guy come up after a talk. He says, you make it sound like every AA meeting ought to be a pep rally and that we're all supposed to be happy. My book says so. Yes, I believe that. Yeah. We insist on being happy, joyous, and free. That's what we're talking about. Oh, we're not always going to be, guys. Life's going to be a bitch. But let me tell you something, guys. I can be spiritually connected in the middle of a, of, a, of, a, of a whirlwind storm out there and still be comfortable in my skin. I'll be sad, but there's some hope there. Don Pritz and the guy in our sponsorship lineage talked about it. Guys, when hope returns, the spiritual experience has taken place. It's just that simple. And for us to take a shot at somebody for being happy, here's my problem. The window, as William wrote in this article, the window will close if we don't finish the work. We've got to finish the commitment. Coming in, getting our feet on the ground, you're going to experience some good stuff. You went to treatment, some of you, you're doing some great work, but it won't stay. Complacency, entitlement, boredom will return. The spiritual warfare will begin again. I believe there's a dark side out there that wants us dead. It'll start coming back. You're a worthless piece of shit. I don't know why you want to try to get sober anyway. And pretty soon it's closing. And the thought crosses your mind that you could have a couple of cocktails and everything would be okay. And you're back out again. All right. All right. Whose responsibility was that? I'm going to take complete responsibility for that. It was my responsibility. Seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous relapsing, I'll, I'll do that. At a certain point, though, I think our groups have to take some responsibility. Did anybody slide up next to me and say, Chris, you can't stay sober because you won't do the book, you won't do the work in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? You don't even own a big book. Who's your sponsor? Nobody ever held me accountable. All they did was make sure that I came back to meetings every day and not talk about drugs. <laughs> Wow. I'm going to read this and let you go. There's a cat named uh, Paul uh, Martin. I'm using his last name. He wouldn't mind. He's passed away anyway. He was in our sponsorship lineage. He lived in Chicago. Some of you, some of you Illinois, but he, 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 was a, he wrote extensively for the grapevine. And I had a friend of mine, because I'm com computer illiterate practically, um, uh, I got a, a buddy of mine in Connecticut that, that uh, finally helped me get all of his articles on one attachment. And so he's got 20, 20 of his articles plus his obituary. And I want you, if y'all ever email me, I want you to read, I'll send them to you. And it's a big attachment. And, and, I, and I want you to read his obituary first so you can get a flavor of who this guy was. He spoke from podiums for, for, for he was a circuit speaker forever. And most of the articles that he wrote for the Grapevine were in the 70s and 80s before the editorial staff changed. I wouldn't subscribe to the Grapevine today if you paid for it and gave it to me as a Christmas gift. I would use it to start my barbecue pit. Uh, and I know some of you love it. I, I hate it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a contradictory, absolute guaranteed way to confuse the newcomer. And nobody caught on fire on that either. Okay, well, we're good. I'm sure we have some grapevine reps in here. I'm just saying if you read it. You can get me started. Don't get Myers started. I guarantee you. Part of the problem that we did, we were talking about mixed messages last night. Part of the problem, the biggest problem we have is not the treatment centers. Part of the problem is our own literature. Living sober will confuse the daylights out of you. Our own uh, uh, pamphlet of, of question and answers on sponsorship talks about the fact that you can get sober without God. Not if you're an alcoholic, you can't. If you're a hard drinker, you might be able to, but not as an alcoholic. You follow? But the, our own literature contradicts what's in the big book. And we're trying to change some of that now. Uh, they, they, they revised the Living Sober book, and they've actually added some st the, the steps into it. <laughs> Paul Martin was great. After about the 90s, they paid, I think they paint, uh, 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 printed one article after that, and they, just, they stopped printing his articles because he was rigid. He talked about working and reworking the steps. This is an excerpt from a 1976 article, Working the Steps in a Group, which is pretty cool. Y'all read, if y'all get these articles, don't try to read them all at once. It'll just overwhelm you. They're, they're, they're the bomb. The group is far more than a place to go and ventilate your feelings, merely to find symptom relief. You'll follow? You want relief or release? 
upset with it a second. The dentist is pulling a bad tooth. You want some medication to just give you some relief? Or do you want him to get rid of the problem? You got it? Release. For me. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> In our experience, conditions such as depression, anxiety, fear, boredom, hostility, and apathy are just symptoms. And they will disappear through persistent work with all the steps. The answer then is not to concern ourselves with the symptoms, but to work and rework the steps so that they may remove the causes. Then the depression, fear, boredom, or other symptoms will disappear too. We've seen this happen consistently. I'm seven years in AA and nobody will tell me this. They said, go to a meeting and talk about the problem. And I did. And I got some symptomatic relief. I feel so much better having shared that. Yeah? Uh-huh. And you just bored the shit out of this group for the 30 minutes sharing it. I appreciate that. And the little guy in the back that was detoxing and needed some help, we never shared any hope with him, but you got your relief. Y'all follow? Selfish and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. That's what we have to look at. When I finally understood the first step, uh, there was absolutely nothing in me that would stop me from doing this work. And I entered this, this challenge to finish the work so I could sponsor with the desperation of a drowning man, just like the book said. And within a few weeks, I'm through the work, and I've had a spiritual experience, and, uh, and I'm kicking butt. You with me? About two months in, I got a little newcomer in there that actually called. I gave him, put my number on a newcomer packet, and the bastard had the nerve to call me <laughs> after the meeting. Y'all don't, y'all don't be surprised when these newcomers actually reach out. Oh, my God. And I, and, I, and, I, and I looked around. I said, what do I do now? And he said, get your big book and go talk to this cat. And I did, two months sober. And I went in there and ended up sponsoring him for a while. And people said, oh, you can't sponsor it two months. Yes, I, I can. Yes, I did. Uh, am I better at it today? Debatable. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Y'all go smoke. <laughs>